Welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm in the room. I am so excited. Sebastian, for the first time since... I don't know. December, November? Something like that, yeah. Right? Yeah, I think it was December. I have no. traveled to the suburbs. You've come into the suburbs. You've joined us. Mm-hmm. There is no leaving the suburbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Unless just... you own a Prius or a Subaru, you cannot leave. <laughs> I, I I arrived at the station just in time to miss the bus. Oh no! So then I grabbed the coffee while I was waiting because there there's a happy goat in the station now. Oh yeah, happy goat. But yeah, and then uh, I had to put my mask back on, and then I was trapped in my mask with my coffee breath while I was on the bus. Oh dear. Yeah, it wasn't too bad, but it was a little uh, green. You know, mm. like it had that sort of like a uh, uh, vegetative uh, smell. That's always the the, the, the the masked, trapped smell that yeah. one aims for. Never eat garlic and then have to go into a business. <laughs> like that's that that's the new reality. A post COVID world, you can't have smelly foods mm. and then have to go into premises where you're required to wear a mask. Yes. Well, later on, we have an interview lined up with Gary Lacasse, the mm-hmm. executive director of the Canadian. Aid Society. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about It's a Sin. Mm-hmm. We have yet to receive our sponsorship money from them. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to send it to us. We haven't even asked, but I feel like we should. But yes, a fantastic TV show available on Prime Video in Canada uh, out of the UK. Mm. Now, before we dive into that conversation with uh, Gary Lacasse, mm-hmm. some other news has been happening across Canada. Yes. Because, of course, news continues to happen. Yes. Including a bit of a brouhaha a br- in, uh, in Regina, in Regina, Saskatchewan. About 840 people mm-hmm. across Saskatchewan who have filed, uh, they've, they've essentially filed a human rights complaint mm-hmm. against a church, the Victory Church okay. in Saskatchewan. So there was a sermon last week done by uh, the pastor there. And in all fairness, the pastor claims to have been horribly misquoted and miscommunicated. Okay. Uh, pastor Terry Murphy mm-hmm. was his name. Mm-hmm. He feels like he's been misquoted. Mm-hmm. So he has clarified for and created a, a short clip on YouTube mm-hmm. that he says clarifies Clarifies everything. everything, right. And it is literally the last three minutes of his sermon. Maybe not literally. I think it's a bit more than three minutes. Where he says, we love all people. Mm. This might upset you, but God loves you all. We love you all. Thank you. Have a good night. Yeah. With the accusation that he was misquoted, the two of us were like, oh, I guess that means we have to listen to it, don't we? Oh, my We did. We did. I know. It was... Some of it was like, oh, actually, uh, industrial psychologists agree with that. Family psychologists agree with that. Social workers agree with that. And then he'd say something like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, oh... Well, stuff like, you know... uh, Families are happier when you spend more time with each other. But we listened to the clip that mm. the Victory Church has indicated yes. uh, to clarify us. Mm-hmm. And we were left perplexed because it didn't reference any of the things that he's been accused of. There was a lot of things that were in the implication where he listed a whole bunch of, of uh, modern issues. And then he sort of like, you know, 
uh, divorce and infidelity and and mm-hmm. and social ails and and you know uh, uh, promiscuity and homosexuality was thrown in, and then he would say like you know we, we should uh, uh, treat you know problems in a certain way, but it was kind of unclear. Was he talking about each of them, all of them, some of them? What when he was saying you know we shouldn't punish, but we there should be consequences for your actions, and it's like consequences for homosexuality or consequences for infidelity, and it was like. Depending on how you interpret it, it could be like, yeah, I, I could get behind that, but it was just so underspecified. It could be, it probably was homophobic, but you can't say for sure. Well, we were confused. What had he said that would cause 840 yeah. LGBT people around Saskatchewan to file a human rights complaint? Mm. So we did the laborious work of listening to the damn things. The original. So here is a short clip. This is the clip that we want to play. This is not the only bit. Yeah. That led to 840 people filing a human rights complaint. It was spread out over the it whole thing. It was spread out. But this is a this is a three-minute clip. We do want to warn folks that um, we'll, we'll, we'll respond to it just mm. after this and how blatantly ridiculous it is. Mm. And then in the last, it's, I don't know, it's been, it started probably in the 70s or 80s. We had the rise of, uh, of the cultural push to normalize homosexuality. On TV shows, in the movies, in the media, everywhere, normalizing this behavior that before then was not considered normal, was considered abnormal. Now, this might be making some of you uncomfortable, but you know, the normalizing of this behavior has caused chaos in a lot of ways. And there's, a, there's an underlying lie in all of this that you're born that way. And because you're born that way, anyone that speaks against it or says anything against it is homophobic and just really a mean and a bad person. Well, you know, the Bible is very clear. We're all born with sin in our hearts. Whether it's homosexual sex or sex outside of the marriage, the Bible doesn't differentiate from the really that much. They're both wrong because it's not God's plan. Are, are, are you okay? But to say that we're born that way creates an underlying lie. In fact, they've spent all kinds of money trying to find some scientific proof that people are born with homosexual tendencies. They've searched for a homosexual gene. They've searched for it in the DNA. You know what they've found? Absolutely nothing. Because it is not something you are born with a sin nature, but these are decisions that we make throughout our life, whether I will be a, a, a tramp or whether I will walk in purity, whether I will live this way. or These are choices that we make. And the problem in our culture is these choices have been normalized. And because they've been normalized and even promoted, the advancement of this behavior is going through the roof. So, apparently, there is absolutely no science okay. uh, behind being gay, and I could just as rightly choose to be gay as I could choose to be a tramp. 
should I, I mean, I have in many occasions chosen to be a tramp, but that's, you know, this idea is, is preposterous. I did find that phrasing hilarious because I remember thinking, does he mean like a hussy? Or does he mean like a street-involved person? <laughs> <laughs> From the cast of all of the twist. And it was... <laughs> But, I mean, honestly, the idea that there is no science, but there is a substantial amount of science that found that, for example, the hypothalamus is bigger and more akin to women in gay men than it is in straight men. There are hormonal differences. Mm. You know, the brain is wired slightly differently in some cases, most cases, not all. You know, there were so many different things. Yeah. Well, the, the the science behind it is under a different model of science, which not a lot of people are familiar with. The very short version, because I know you don't want me to go on about this for like 10 yeah. minutes, is the Lactosian model, not the Popperian model of science, which oh, is instead of... Pop- the milk model. Well, the, no, that's lactose. Lactose basically said what you do is you build a model and you acknowledge that some of it's wrong and you adopt the model over time to be able to explain more and more and more of the evidence. And you're never truly there. The theory of evolution is exactly that. We, we keep learning more and the theory of evolution grows over time. Exact same thing with the scientific understanding of homosexuality. We don't understand the mechanism yet. And in science, you just don't have permission to say you understand something until you understand the mechanism. So we're not there yet, but the model is growing over time and explaining more and more and more of the data. This guy, he was saying things where it was like, you know, just stuff like, you know, how to find happiness. And it was stuff that like, I've, I've heard psychologists say that, but they didn't say it was, you know, it was, it was cause versus like, like the outcome is kind of there, but the cause behind it is weird. And also bearing in mind that when when people of this ilk use the word prayer, think of it the way that other people would use the term meditation. Mm-hmm. So meditation can actually bring certain kinds of calmness and happiness. Yes, yeah. Not it, it doesn't fix your problems. It just makes you chill about the problems that you have. Let's, let's not negate <laughs> that there are many people of faith yeah. and there are many LGBT people of faith mm-hmm. And for them, prayer is what helps to guide the way. Yeah. Absolutely. I just think that this particular individual's very fire and brimstone sermon was... Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't think he's the most homophobic, most dangerous, most harmful person we've ever covered. Uh, I do think somebody needs to have a conversation with him. And uh, that... Uh, I'm this, not worried, but I'm glad people are keeping an eye on him. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? I think this has been blown a little bit out of proportion for Pastor Terry. But I get it. Because I think what he's done is he Googled... Yeah. Because he said so in the sermon. <laughs> he Googled raising godly children. Okay. Because that's what you want out of a faith leader. Someone who's going to tell you what they found on Google. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeds to focus the entire sermon based on a book... The mm. focus the family want to recommend. So, yeah, as soon as I realized that he had Googled it, mm-hmm. followed by read a book that this homophobic website wants him to read, I'm done at yeah. this point. You know, critical thinking is not in that kind of conversation. It has upset a lot of people, and the human rights complaint has been Yeah, fired. yeah. I mean, I think he's more comical than dangerous, but I get it. I understand why people brought it up to the human rights courts. Like, it makes sense. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, we're going to jump to the first song of the day. This was uh, 19 by Tegan Johnston, and we'll be back just after this.
wanna call you, would it really have mattered if I called you that way? If I had heard it all under control, under my head, cause I can't give it back, and you can't get it back. Time that will never have, time that will never get. Don't wanna explain why I like you like that. Closer to death, baby, didn't you say that we shouldn't let fear into this? I feel you staring into the abyss, feel it in your kiss. I'm wanting something you already missed. Welcome back to Cancria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And it is always a pleasure having Gary Lacasse, the Executive Director of the Canadian AIDS Society, joining us. Thank you so much, Gary, for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a distinct pleasure as usual. <laughs> now, uh, it seems like we may have forced you 
into watching uh, It's a Sin. Uh, did you did you take a dive into that recently? <laughs> yes, I uh, watched. I binge watched it this week, and um, it's something that I try to avoid. Uh, these really heavy uh, AIDS uh, biopics. I live it every day by work, but it's also a trigger because having lost the next uh, boyfriend to AIDS in the early 2000s, it's uh, always uh, very triggering to me when we these programs come out, but uh, it was very cathartic at the same time. And I thank you very much for putting it on my plate. And, uh, you know, like uh, it also was um, a reflection in uh, we're being, we've been uh, asked to be technical advisors on the development of a film that's going into production. Uh, it's a drama that talks about the relationship with uh, HIV negative with a HIV positive figure and uh, how that plays out. So it's quite interesting to see the correlation of that versus that era versus the new era of you talking about U equals U and uh, undetectable equals untransmittable and all the rest of the new advances in HIV. So it's fantastic. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I believe before we talked about, I think there's serodiscordant relationships. I think that's the term. Yeah. That's such a, an interesting thing to talk about. I mean, you know, there was a, I think it was either Rufus Wainwright or Gareth Thomas or somebody who kind of came out as gay and uh, said that once they found out that their partner was HIV positive, that they, they ran in the other direction, you know, because it was, it was an incredibly scary thing. And, I think even now there is a there is a, a sense of fear, and uh, you know, the, but there are there are ways to make serodiscordant relationships absolutely work. You know, you mentioned undetectable equals untransmittable uh, with medication over time. You know, this thing nears to almost like imperceptibly close to zero. Like it's it's, it's it is zero. Yeah, it is zero. It, it's it's scientifically zero chances of transmitting HIV when you are undetectable when you take your meds continuously. Mm. <laughs> so that's the important part. But uh, for, um, and on the cruising scene, what I've heard is a lot of people are looking for people who are HIV positive and undetectable because they're sure that they will, that the person's taking care of their sexual health. Oh, wow. So there's that uptake that's coming into view more and more from what I'm hearing on the dating apps. So well, there was an interesting story last week or so from the UK where they did a study into finding out what was behind the jump in uh, sexually transmitted infections. And uh, in England, they've now made uh, PrEP, pre-exposure prophylactics available to anybody who, who wants it. Um, and we'll dive into PrEP in, in just a little bit. But they thought, well, if everyone taking these anti-HIV meds, then maybe they're being more risky, maybe it's driving up other SDIs. And they found that that is actually literally the opposite case. <laughs> that, uh, you know, everyone who's taking these measures to be safe around, uh, you know, in preventing uh, HIV transmission are also, weirdly enough, making sure they don't catch anything else. So... <laughs> Who knew? And they also have the, uh, medical appointments and testing every three months for screening. So that helps to uh, look at that situation. But I mean, here in Canada, we're seeing dramatic rises in STBBIs, other sexually transmitted diseases also. 
at phenomenal rates, and we have mother-to-child transmissions of syphilis now. Oh, wow. So it's like, and we had a positive HIV birth in New Brunswick. So it's like, that was, we haven't confirmed the case yet, but that's trending at the moment. So it's really disheartening to see all these uh, increases. But during the COVID crisis, uh, there's a lot of different ways people are having sex now. And the access to medical care is almost nil or non-existent. And testing, well, forget about it. Has so, it slowed down? Like the, what are the rates like over the past year? <clears throat> the past year, what I'm, what I heard from British Columbia, which I, I don't think is really there, is that uh, the rates went down. Uh, but um, we've been hearing, like in uh, Saskatchewan, the rates went dramatically high during COVID. Oh. Uh, New Brunswick went high. Uh, Quebec uh, seems to be trending higher. Uh, the rates went down a bit in 2019, just a tad. Uh, so where we're going to end up, I don't know, because testing is, you know, like there was a whole lack of testing out there. Mm-hmm. Even though British Columbia said, yes, we were testing continuously. It's funny, the clinics that we work with during National Testing Week, we're not doing tests. Hard to understand. There, what uh, officials are saying and to see the Canadian position of uh, doing it with a mask and all that was completely uh, ridiculous I find in our day-to-day practices that we do have and that the Terence Higgins Trust came out with some amazing guidelines so you know like I would like it to be a bit less uh, motherly approach to uh, the way that people have sex out there and to be more pragmatic and the way that the Terrence Higgins Trust, if you go on our website, you'll find the links to it and a translation with him organization Vancouver and Réseau in Montreal. So there's different ways and there's uh, to be safeguarded against COVID and still have whatever you need. Well, I we uh, we caused an, a, some some feathers to ruffle uh, when we talked about the official health guidance from the BCCDC and the uh, state of New York's uh, official health guidance, which recommended uh, if you if you must go and have sexual intercourse to introduce a barrier, uh, much like glory holes, and that was the official medical <laughs> advice from the the BC Center of Disease Control. Um, which is quite incredible. But I wonder then, because you're absolutely right, you know, with COVID and the lockdown, access to primary care through clinics, et cetera, et cetera, have definitely been hampered. Um, And when you were talking about Saskatchewan, it made me think because we're seeing a lot of work around drug use and uh, sort of needle exchanges, programs like that. They've really suffered during this pandemic. Um, And I know that in Saskatchewan, it's actually intravenous drug use is one of the highest uh, sources of new HIV infections. Uh, Do you think that's possibly what was driving the rate in Saskatchewan? Driving the rate in Saskatchewan, yeah, there was 199 cases in 2019 in the province. It doesn't look like a big number, but the percentage of infection is like in um, of transmission is like the same rates as a uh, endemic country. So that's really where we're situated. Uh, I had a, a call with uh, some partners 
the Canadian Aboriginal AIDS Network and some local organizations like Prairie Harm Reduction and um, <clears throat> All Nations Hope there with the Ministry of Health in Saskatchewan because we're trying to effectively change the dynamics of what's happening in Saskatchewan. And we've been working on this with the local organizations for years. And we, the, the, what I was dumbfounded at was like, I said, you know, like what, since the federal initiative pulled money out of Saskatchewan because that's what they effectively did in 2016, the rates have been going high and shows, no, we have a fantastic relationship with PHAC. And I said, pardon me, your rates have gone up 90% since 2016. So how could that be a fantastic relationship with the Public Health Agency of Canada if your rates are going up that high? And they said, oh, okay. So, you know, like we have to understand what's happening with the numbers and be, and be more proactive than we are. But it's true that it is trending higher in certain areas because of the local intravenous drug use, because there's no needle exchanges. The people are being more covert because of COVID. Uh, there's a more surveillance happening. So there's a lot to unpack there. As you've seen, the rates of people who have... Uh, succumb to overdoses has risen dramatically also. <clears throat> so um, I think uh, the government lagged as they've been lagging in a lot of areas and concentrating almost exclusively on COVID. That's our evaluation of the problem. And uh, it's uh, people are screaming on the roofs for more engagement, more money. And because the provincial governments, when you look at the smaller provinces don't have the financial nor the capacity to really effectively drive change. It has to be a coordinated effort, and that's what's missing in the recipe at the moment. Can I ask you a, a sort of a technical question, I suppose? Earlier you said that the, the numbers sound low, but they're actually higher than they sound. How do the numbers work? Like, how are they measured? How are they calculated? How are they? How do we know that, like, 100 is low, even though you're talking about an entire province? Okay. Or high, well, even? Okay, like let's take it into consideration Quebec, 600 cases around there per year. So when you look at, you know, like you look at the, you don't look, because a lot of people look at the number, they don't look at the province has maybe five times less population. Mm -hmm. So the number does seem small, but for the number of cases per 100,000 or per the, for the population basin there, it's high. It's really high. And, you know, like uh, Saskatchewan have the highest rate of infection in Canada. So that's another pointer and followed by Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And uh, another point of clarification, these numbers are always uh, confirmed new infections. This is not like the total or something. No, okay. this is the surveillance data. Mm -hmm. The issue that we have with the Canadian surveillance data that we have is that the data provenance is not, is that we only have the data provenance on about 60% of the cases. Mm -hmm. So the way they extrapolate to do estimates is really problematic in Canada mm -hmm. because their estimates are trending lower than their surveillance data, which doesn't make sense. So, and we don't know how many, like in Quebec don't give their numbers, BC don't give their numbers. And Quebec is one of the highest number of cases, sheer number in Canada. So how are we supposed to really effectively do our programming or 
the funding of specific programming based on estimates that are lacking 40% of the data. Hmm. So that's worrisome in itself also, but we seem to be in a, in a, in a world full of barriers in the HIV sector at the moment. <laughs> I know that uh, it's a sin in the UK sparked thousands and thousands, over 10,000 new HIV tests within the first week. Um, it sort of really inspired people to know where they stand in terms of whether or not they they have uh, contracted HIV, um, and you know there was a there was a scene in the series that I thought was incredibly powerful, of them waiting in the waiting room to go and get the results, and one one of the characters uh, actually bailed and and chose not to know. Um, I think that the the series did a really good job of just like covering the importance of getting tested. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to kind of maybe touch on that topic a little bit about why getting tested is so important. Being the leader in testing in Canada, <laughs> because we do have our uh, national HIV testing uh, initiative that's been going on since 2017. It's important. It's like, I mean, the, la the last year that we have the data on was that um there the the people are really struggling to get tested because you know like our biggest barrier to healthcare outcomes in Canada is that we're a provincial and territorial territorially driven model mm -hmm. so each province and territory decides on their funding and their investment criteria so that's that's the issue that we have. So for some provinces, testing is not even on the radar whatsoever. But what we saw in our data is 27% of participants who were getting tested had never been tested before in their life. So we're talking about a number that's like, okay, what the hell? And 32% had not been tested the past year. So, and we're talking about high uh, risk populations that were being tested through this event. So, and uh, there was a lot, and 47% of the participants were people who used drugs. So uh, testing initiatives in Canada are extremely important mm -hmm. and they drive people to understand that testing is normal. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's bringing the, uh, reducing the barriers to testing so that people don't have so much stigma around getting tested. And that's what our campaigns are all about. This year, we had to go to a virtual event because we did a, a, we did a virtual and a non-virtual, but the testing technologies out there are fantastic because people are able to go order a home tech kit to get tested now, which is new in Canada. It's been approved since November. Not everybody is gonna use a home testing kit. How would somebody get the home testing kit? You could get it by call, if you're in the priority population, you could call Max for uh, uh, men who identify as, uh, who have sex with men. Uh, there's a ACO that have them for different other populations at the AIDS Committee of Ottawa. So there's different places you can. You could even buy, you could buy them online or through your pharmacy. Some pharmacies are carrying them. So there's also the point of care that you could get at the different uh, clinics across Canada walk-in clinics when they're open, but you could always go to Canada HIV 411 to see where testing's being done. 
or Portail VIH Québec for the Gatineau areas with uh, Le Bras and that. So it's, there's different ways of going about it, but getting tested, uh, we're hoping with our initiatives that we are normalizing it, uh, bringing down the barriers and the stigma to ensure that people have the empowerment to take their sexual um, health into their hands and be empowered with it. So some of the some of the conversations that emerged when uh, a lot of the vaccine work on COVID nineteen started to happen is people were going like people were comparing COVID nineteen to the HIV AIDS epidemic, um, and there are many reasons why that's not a fair comparison. We went into some of them last week, mm-hmm. but I think it does beg the question of where we're at with HIV education. Some big stories from the last couple of months. Uh, which I think are worth mentioning here, Uh, the European Commission, um, sorry, Medicines Agency uh, approved a once every three months pill as a a treatment option. Um, They've also approved a, a, uh, let me get the right phrase for this. It is a intravaginal ring made from dipavine. (laughs) Let me try and see if I can... Dipivirine, yeah. I don't know. The, uh, the International Partnership for Microbicides um, have developed it. And the idea is that it would essentially stop inter, you know, um, vaginal, vaginal transmission of HIV. Um, but they're very excited about this sort of path forward. And there was another study this past couple of months that found that there could be a path towards a once a year injection instead of a once a month. Now, right now, as far as I'm aware, prep, uh, you know, uh, HIV medication is daily. Um, and I think that some, for some folks, that's a challenge to, to keep on top of, although obviously you incorporate it into your routine. Are you encouraged by where some of this science is going in terms of potential uh, ways forward? Any new advance that uh, reduces the barriers to taking your meds uh, to effectively have meds that have less impact on the rest of your body and uh, improves the health outcomes were for it 100%, 1,000%. Where we're having issues is that even with the newer drugs, the comorbidities are high. They're still high. They're still affecting thousands of people living with HIV. And that has to be addressed in a more effective way. So... Uh, when you look at the last, uh, the last effective uh, science behind, Gilead presented a study a couple of years ago at CAR, uh, the Canadian AIDS uh, Health Research Conference, uh, about the exact number of comorbidities and the percentage of people. And what was interesting with their study was that they really had the pocket populations of people living with HIV versus people that don't have HIV. Because it's always really great to know the difference and the gap between the two numbers, instead of just saying, well, people with HIV are more affected. Well, how much more? It's just like when you're, when you're at a certain age and your dentist says, well, you have a lot of gum receding. Well, how normal is it at my age to have my gums receding? <laughs> so, you know, I, so I have a perspective here. So there's a lot of that. So anything that's, that's good, and especially for women where there's some uh, domestic or economic or physical 
violence or so psychological violence involved, it, it, a way to dissimulate your taking your meds is always welcome. Uh, which com comorbidities uh, were they concerned about in specific? Cancer, heart, liver, uh, renal, the, all the soft tissue. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's always the, zing the zinger. Now, the explosion in research that was, you know, powered by the COVID-19 pandemic has led to some breakthroughs in how vaccines are created. Uh, our listeners will be, of course, familiar with Moderna, one of the medical suppliers for the COVID-19 vaccine. They, they've teamed up with the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative and Scripps Research, and they believe they have found a vaccine, a proof of principle, um, that uh, clears out cell production in 97% of a particular sample uh, of, of participants. So, I mean, do you feel hopeful that even though COVID-19 has shut clinics, uh, disrupted support to uh, the most vulnerable and all of these other impacts, are you hopeful that maybe a silver lining is that vaccine research could possibly point a direction forward for curing HIV? I would hope so, <laughs> but I don't know from my limited knowledge here, because I'm not a researcher for that. I don't think that the same effective vaccine recipe is the same that would be for something that's in your cell cellular structure. This is a protein-based vaccination, I believe, for COVID-19. So it's like, I don't know. I hope it does. I hope it uh, reignites the vaccine initiatives everywhere because they've call it kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, so maybe, I hope it does. I, uh, there's always hope. Uh, but uh, the biggest uh, problem was that the different issues with HIV is that it morphs and it changes continuously. So if we can get a handle on something that's effective, I'm more than happy to see it happen, come so that we could close our doors one day. So with think, all, sorry, go ahead, Sebastian. I, I was just going to say one of the, the good things about this is that for every successful treatment, there's a thousand unsuccessful treatments. And quite often, unsuccessful treatments are good at something else. So about 20, 15 years ago, there is a famous failure of a heart medication uh, that turned into Viagra. And... Mm -hmm. So a lot of things of this sort where, you know, there's a treatment and it's not very good at what it is. So um, like the, the, one of the, the side effects of the COVID treatment is they think they may actually have treatments against the common cold, which we've never had before. So for every failed uh, new experimental technique for treating uh, the Corona type viruses, they may have accidentally discovered a successful thing for other virus types. So there's a lot of people are saying like, a lot of the failed research will also be positive research because good science, you know, a negative answer is still an answer and you could be constructive with that. So th there are long-term implications just of the fact that like huge amounts of money and time have been dumped into vaccine research in general, even if these vaccines are not effective against HIV, there, there is hope in the long-term because like a failed experiment is still an experiment and we could still get something out of it. I'm in agreement with that, Sebastian. The, the, the caution that I raise a bit is that um, 
it's the long haulers, the ones that are that have had COVID. Like in England, they opened up 30 clinics for long hauler COVID survivors. Okay. Mm-hmm. In Canada, we have two so far. I think no, three or four. There's one in Quebec, mm-hmm. and there's three in British Columbia. Okay. And mm-hmm. I was one that was lucky enough to get into the Quebec one. They're accepting 500 patients. That's it. Mm-hmm. So until we understand the exact scope of everything that COVID will do, where we haven't invested that much here, all that we've invested in has kind of, you know, gone belly up to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But thank God we're back on the right track where the, where the vaccinations are moving ahead and all that. And I think there's going to be a lot of unpacking and debriefing that's going to come in the coming years uh, once we get over this huge uh, problem of vaccinations and getting mm-hmm. people in a safer space. But I do believe, as you said, every research has some uh, some other venues that can be used for something else. Mm-hmm. And that's that's happened in AIDS research and HIV research for since the beginning mm-hmm. of the AIDS epidemic. So that's fantastic and open arms again. Mm-hmm. But we have to look at the larger picture with COVID because I, th- I don't think the whole story has been told yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you so much, Gary, for, for joining us and uh, discussing the importance of, of, of getting tested and uh, the impacts that this pandemic has had on Canadians' ability to access uh, testing and, and uh, healthcare. Um, is there any message that you would want to leave with Canadians before we jump to our next song? Yeah, what I'd like to say is that the testing aspect is so important because there's another issue that's at stake here since COVID is that the people who are not getting tested, their viral loads on the different STBBIs or HIV or other uh, STDs, they're very high. So they transmit ease in a more easy fashion. So the, the importance of getting tested has never been more urgent as it is now and take it into your own hands and become the driver and not just the the person on the train looking at the different people go by (laughs) because it's very important and uh, the the quicker you get on meds and you get the the other STDs is to be is cleared and HIV on meds to control it and to become uh, uh, you know undetectable is more power to everybody and we could have a better outcomes for everyone concerned. Absolutely. So that well, would be my message. Well, thank you so much, Gary. We will um, be joining everybody just after this song. Uh, thank you again. And we'll be back just after this. This is the last time I wash you from my hair. This is the last time you catch me on a
Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. That was Smoking by Virginia Fudge. Um, I enjoyed it. A great track. Now, one thing I wanted to mention, just because we we didn't really get to cover it during the last uh, during the interview, right. is these conversations can be quite triggering. Oh yeah. And uh, sometimes younger folks forget that folks who didn't experience it. Like I believe that Gary had mentioned that. Um, his past boyfriend passed, yeah. passed away yeah. from HIV. And he had told us that he very often avoids this kind of media, the, these documentaries, these films, mm. these TV dramas, um, 
because it's hard to watch something that you've experienced. Yeah. Uh, so we do acknowledge that. And of course, there are many people living um, with HIV or living from with the experience and, and uh, mm. memories of those who have passed. And people who never experienced it directly, but just like lived in fear for 15 years yeah. and were afraid to date. Like it's hard to get over that. Absolutely. Now, uh, I do have a bit of an uplifting news story. The European Parliament, uh, which is where all of the MEPs, so everyone in, in Europe elects a, a local member of European Parliament as well mm. as the other one. But the European Parliament have declined, decided to declare Europe, Europe. an LGBT-free dumb zone okay. to promote LGBT inclusivity. You right. might be thinking... Okay, cool, weird, but okay, cool. Mm. Um, except for the fact that in in Poland, several places have self-declared themselves yeah. uh, LGBT-free zones, where they, they have no gays here. Mm-hmm. There are no gays among this Polish town. Um, so Europe has just decided that, in fact, the whole of Europe, yeah, yeah. every little bit of it, is now an LGBT freedom zone. And the, the Poland one, there was a, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but there was an actual member of Parliament who was just like, I don't know what that means. I don't know how you intend to enforce that. I don't know what is going to come out of that. It's just weird marketing, man. So, I mean, there, there are people within the, the Polish government who, they're in this kind of weird space where they're not really protecting gay rights per se but they're looking at what's going on and they're like that's weird dude like we got economic reforms to make and you know we have a we have ports to run like they have ports to run you know they got bigger fish to fry than whether or not declaring themselves lgbt free zone yeah yeah so i mean there there are people in poland who are looking at this going like what like now in the tradition of awful segues yes there is a place in canada that Mm -hmm. might be declaring itself free of the gay as a zone. Oh, yes. And that is the village, yes. the gay village yeah. in Montreal, yeah, which yeah. wants to de-gay its name. Yes. The local business association for the village have put forward the idea, putting feelers out there. Yeah. And they claim that by it being called the gay village, mm-hmm. uh, that's just gay men. You know, that's not everybody. That's not the LGBTQ2S plus... Uh, X, Y, Z. That's just the G. And what yeah. about everybody else in this alphabet that is excluded from this village of, of businesses? Well, there's several issues with this. Um, l- let's get this out of the way. Number one, if you've ever actually been to Montreal, people don't call it the gay village. They just call it... Rue Saint-Catherine. Saint-Catherine Street. Yeah. The, the, even the French speakers call it Saint-Catherine Street. They don't call it Rue Saint-Catherine. They call it Saint-Catherine Street. So it's it's just like saying Church Street in Toronto. Mm. like it Or um, Davy in uh, Vancouver. Yeah. Davy Village. Yeah. Davy Village, yeah. So the village is more of a marketing tool or the kind of thing that they would put the on... The official on the map name? The official on the map name. It, it's what you would put in the pamphlet. It's what you would put on the Pride website. But it's not what people... People actually call it so there's there's the first issue the second one is there's a historical precedent here where like the modern term queer used to be the word gay like gay comes from the 1930s 40s 50s polari coded language 
and gay, if you are you gay instead of are you happy or how's your day going, was just a coded way of saying like, are you some variety of not straight? Mm. Because you didn't want to get into detail. And then if they were like, oh yes, I am a friend of Dorothy or, or yeah. some other polari term, you could go off into like a bush or something and discuss details about what variety. Yeah. But like gay was just a way of... And weirdly enough, this harkens back to our first story yeah. where all of these gay people, where it was not acceptable, that's because they'd have been beaten up and thrown in prison yes. if they weren't using coded speech. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, um, it would be like if you're to go up to a stranger and say, like, have you experienced malarkey lately? Which is like, it's a real word that people know what it means, but it's a weird turn of phrase. And if you were to say, oh, yes, I rather have, then that'd be your way of being like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally gay. Like, that would be a way of coding. It's the exact Let's same. make malarkey a gay thing. Let's, <laughs> let's make it happen. Have you experienced malarkey lately? Yeah, I'm going to get out my t-shirt. <laughs> have you experienced malarkey late recently? Uh, lately, I love it. That's the history of the term. By so, merch. So, like, the Montreal Village got that name during the period where gay was still a generic term for, you know, homosexual males and women and bisexuals and Anyone gender who wasn't, non-conforming. Yeah. who wasn't demonstrably straight. Yeah. So, I mean, are you erasing the history of the word? But I mean, it could also be like, well, that word doesn't mean that anymore. So you have to modernize. You do kind of have to keep it a time for the, a little bit. For these businesses, it's a marketing. They yeah. want to be more, you know, air quotes inclusive. Yeah. And I don't negate the fact that there is probably something genuine in there. Yeah. That maybe they feel it being just the gay village mm. puts some people off. But others in, in Montreal are concerned because with property prices increasing, yeah. commercial rents increasing. Uh, residential costs in the area going up mm. it is being de-gayed yeah, yeah, yeah. like this was a village where all of the LGBT folks came and lived together mm-hmm. created their own businesses it was, free an for it was an enclave yeah. and now they've been priced out yeah, yeah. so it's already being de-gayed in the broad sense of homosexuals leaving and also to be fair like last time I went to Montreal I noticed it, it was happening but it was happening at a snail's pace relative to Toronto where it's yeah. it Toronto is, is, is horrifically Decade. Oh, it is happening fast there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, in in Toronto, I think they in as either Toronto or London, I forget which city because this has come up a few times in both cities mm. where the condos have got the rights to like plow over some nightclubs, mm-hmm. but are legally required to build a new nightclub in their new condo mm. <laughs> so that it replaces the one they're bulldozing. Um, I can't remember if that's Toronto or, or London, but I do remember it came up recently as... Uh... But I mean, the, the, the village in Montreal is still to the point where as you're going down the street, every salon has obviously gay men in there cutting hair. So, I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world. It is a slow process, but it, I'm not really worried about the village yet. But, but... I, I feel like people are saying... Is this literally the writing on the wall? <laughs> like, I mean, we're talking signposts. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. gay village. Is yeah. it li- by removing the word "gay" yeah. in the actual signposts? Mm. Is that going to uh, shuffle along this de-gaying that happens uh, in in LGBT villages around uh, around the Western world? I mean, the the sheer volume of male strip clubs in the area is still a a sign. It, yeah, that might be a sign. Yeah. Absolutely, we have run out of time for today's show. Next week, we'll we will be having the incredible duo from Lesbian Gay. 
talking to us about uh, straight actors playing gay roles. Yes. Um, so part two of it. Part two of this yeah. interview that we did. Yeah. Um, but uh, for now, we are playing out with a track by Voxria, and this is Minefield. Very upbeat, fun song. We loved it. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. What on baby shit? No one should have seen this coming from the get-go. What on baby feel like home, but I'm not coming for you. Gonna let it go. What on baby shit? No one should have seen this coming from the get-go. Should've seen this coming from the get-go Oh, baby, you feel like home But I'm not coming for you Gonna let it go I know that we should go Shy. You're so shy, you're so shy You're so shy, you're so shy You're so shy, you're so shy